Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. We are doing a, could uh, call it a summer in Psalms, um, but five Psalms over uh, last week and the four Sundays in January. So Psalms are a great part of God's Word. Um, the really vibrant expressions um, that the Holy Spirit's inspired with people to write through the book of Psalms. Uh, today we're going to think about Psalm 92, but before we get there, can anybody remember that momentous occasion on Saturday afternoon, September the 30th last year? All right, there's one hand going up. Steve, is your hand going to go up as well? September the 30th, Saturday, September the 30th? He hasn't got it. He'll come in the next second, Steve. Yes, Collingwood won the 2023 AFL Premiership on September the 30th last year. Now, can you remember one of the ways they celebrated that Premiership? They cheated. No, no, no. They didn't celebrate it like that. One of the ways they celebrated that Premiership was they all gathered together as a group and they sang the club theme song. If you watch any of the football, they always do that. The winning team goes in and they sing the club's theme song. They belt it out hard and loud with joyful celebration. Now, not only do the team do that, um, but the player, sorry, the supporters also were doing that very same thing. They were singing the club theme song. They sang for the praises of their team, for all the hard work they had done to achieve premiership glory. They sang with joy for all that Collingwood had done on that particular day. Well, Psalm 92 isn't the Collingwood theme song. But it's a similar thing. It's about singing for joy for about the works of God and what he has done for us. So we're going to have a look at that today. So go with your Bibles now, Psalm 92, and we will read uh, verses 1 through 15. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you... O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You've poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. And grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Father, we thank you today that we can come and gather around you where we ask and pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak out through Psalm 92 today, that you would help us to lift our voices in thankfulness and to sing for joy at the great works that God has done for us. 
Awaken our hearts just so we pray and we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, singing is very big in the Bible. The book of Psalms is the largest book in the Bible. It is also a book of songs. Uh, Today in this psalm, we actually see, if you saw the title above your psalm there, to say it's a song for the Sabbath. It's the Old Testament day of rest. It's a song for that particular time. It's also the day they would gather for synagogue. If they were in Jerusalem, they may head to the temple. But if outside of Jerusalem in their villages, they would head to synagogue on the, on the Sabbath as well to hear scripture read out and to sing a psalm together. And this particular psalm here is written for the Sabbath gatherings on those occasions. Uh, psalm 92 is a psalm of praise. Uh, It's a psalm recognising the greatness of God and then urging us to sing with joy, declaring or proclaiming the greatness of God as we gather together. So here's where we want to head today as we begin to open this psalm up. It's the the goodness and greatness of God revealed to us should overflow in thankfulness and singing for joy. The goodness and greatness of God revealed to us should overflow in thankfulness and singing for joy. So we're going to cover the psalm by looking at three things that we can sing the praises about, uh, about the Lord. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about singing and how good and vile it is for us that God's created us with an ability to sing. So first thing, off the bat here, in the first four verses of the psalm, it's, we're told that it's good, it's good to give thanks And it's good to sing the praises to our Lord. Here's one of the first things that we are told to give thanks and to sing about. And it is the faithfulness of God. Have a look in verse 1. It says there, uh, verse 1 and 2, sorry. Uh, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. So he's declaring that it's a good thing to do this. And then he says, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Now, we looked at steadfast love last week, so we've got to just think a little bit about faithfulness here for a couple of minutes. To declare your faithfulness by nine. Perhaps one of the best ways to understand the faithfulness of God is to look at our unfaithfulness. Now, you might think, I don't want to look at that, but it actually helps us to see how faithful God is when we actually see our unfaithfulness. I think about my own life, so I'm not going to pick on anybody here in front of me. I think about my own life and how I commit to doing things for Laurel and my family, and I think about, okay, yes, I'll take some more time off, and yes, I'll get that job done that you've been wanting done for quite a few months, and I'm, yep, I'm going to be faithful to do that, but then I don't follow through with that faithfulness. I don't take that extra time off. I don't quite get that job done on time. Now, sometimes circumstances are out of my control and does you know, affect what I was going to do. But other times, it's really just perhaps my laziness or my selfishness that kicks in and says, I'm not going to do it. I won't be faithful. Not so with God. Even if we consider here with Israel's perspective, uh, they haven't. They haven't uh, followed the Lord truly and wholly as a nation of people, as God's chosen people. Uh, for hundreds of years, the nation of Israel have been like a big pendulum swing in a grandfather clock, swinging from one side to the other side. And part of that swing is one season, yeah, they're faithful, they stay true, but then the pendulum swings and Israel as a nation, they move to another season. It's every man for himself. We'll do our own thing. We'll go and chase all the other foreign gods around this world. They seem to be doing better things than us. And the big pendulum swing goes way out there. And it's actually an exaggerated pendulum swing because it sits out there for a long time, often with the Israelites. 
But all the while, God has remained faithful to Israel. All the while, God's love for them hasn't been withheld from Israel. All the while, while their pendulum swing is out here in the time of unfaithfulness, he's continuing to hold his hand out to them despite their rebellion in that season of unfaithfulness. Now in our own lives, if we just think about that, it doesn't take long if we just peel back the covers of our own life and we can begin to see that happening within ourselves, our own unfaithfulness before the Lord. I know sometimes when I have an opportunity to witness and I can see it and it's, it's just ready to go and I'll actually sort of shrivel up in a bit of fear or I'll just step backwards and really what am I doing? I'm being unfaithful before the Lord in that moment. But where do we find God in those times? Well, he's still faithful towards us, holding out his hand, calling us back in repentance and faith. He's not abandoning us. He's remaining faithful despite my unfaithfulness. So what is that? It's right and it's good that we sing and proclaim the faithfulness of God to declare his greatness. Because he is great in his faithfulness towards us. That's the first thing that we can sing about, the faithfulness of God. The second thing here to sing about that the psalmist is going to lead us into is the revelation that God has given to us as a gift. God's revealing himself, who he is in all of his greatness and his splendor and his sort of mind-blowing capacities to us. Have a look in verses uh, 5 here. He actually covers in verses 5 to 9, but verse 5 says this, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. How great are your works, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. How could we ever possibly mine the depths of God, try and understand even an inkling of who God is, unless he reveals himself to us, unless he makes himself known to us? The fact is that we can never fully understand God, his works and his ways. And we're not meant to because God wouldn't be God if we could fully understand and comprehend who he is. He is way beyond our comprehension. Actually, the word there, very deep in that verse, the root of that word means incomprehensible, beyond our minds. The works of God actually are just blow us off the map in trying to think about who he is, in his vastness, in his enormity. He's just one fact about God and his wonder of his works in creation. Now, we all think the Earth's pretty big, don't we, the, the, the planet Earth. It's, you get on a plane, it probably takes you about maybe 40 hours to do a circle of the globe in a plane. We think that's huge because that plane's travelling at about 600, 700 kilometres an hour. Well, think about this for a moment. NASA scientists have calculated that inside the sun, where we get that warmth this week, we can fit 1.3 million planet Earths inside the sun. So we're tiny. We're really tiny. And God's really big, beyond our comprehension. And there's many other stars in the universe that are bigger than the sun. So we are tiny, 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 because we're only a little dot on this planet. You can fit 1.3 million planet Earths inside the sun. God's created all these things. These are part of his great works. They are not the great work, but they are part of his great works. And he holds all these things in perfect harmony according to his purposes. 
that's been revealed to us. That God is beyond our comprehension. And that he's the creative cause of all that we can see of these glorious works as we even contemplate those facts of the vastness and enormity of God. But look in these next verses, though. Verses 6 and 7, we see a different story here. It says here, The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. The word stupid there means those who lack good sense. Those who lack the sense to actually see something and understand something. It could be like this. We're surrounded by this complex creation around about us that's been put together like a Swiss watch. It just works perfectly, generally speaking, other than the brokenness we're now experiencing. But then the psalmist says, sorry, and then, and then those around us who can see this complex creation that works like a Swiss watch will then say, it happened by chance. It was just some random collection of atoms and that's why we've got what we've got today in the earth. There's just something a bit, a bit senseless about that. So now this is too ordered, this is too complex, this is too just fantastic the way it fits together that would actually be something that would come by chance. The psalmist says there that the senseless, as it were, are trapped in the thinking of this world. And they don't see the ultimate big picture. It hasn't been revealed to them. They can't see that. And what they refuse to see here is that this rebellion against God, refusing to see God who he is, even though it's plainly put before us in all of creation, people who reject God, they may flourish here on earth for a while, but ultimately, they're told there, they are doomed to destruction forever in verse 7. They can't see that. It hasn't been revealed to them. But we need to see what God's revealed to us. Look at what God has done in his great works, that he's revealed himself as sovereign in these works and creator in these works. Verse 8, he says it there, but you, this is following on from verse 7, but you, the psalmist says, O Lord, are on high forever. When we know that God is on high, as in the sovereign being, the creative being who puts all this together, and he's a faithful and loving sovereign, and he's revealed that to us, well, that's something good to sing about, isn't it? Otherwise, we could be the senseless who don't see it, and we could be doomed to destruction forever. The psalmist praises God for the revelation that's been given to him as he writes this psalm. This is a new set of eyes to understand this earth with. It's a new set of eyes to understand this universe with. This is a mind that's been opened up to the bigger picture of life. It's a revelation. In that sense, the psalmist and us who are trusting in Jesus don't need to be overwhelmed by the brokenness and the destruction that we see around us. Sometimes on a large scale, we see war in the Middle East or the Ukraine is troubling for us. But I don't have to be overwhelmed by that. I don't have to be paralysed by that. Why? Because God is on high and he reigns over all. That's been revealed. That's something to praise God about. Or I don't have to be overwhelmed by the posturing, say, of the USA and China and some sort of a cold war again that maybe looks like it's happening at this point in time. It can be troubling thinking, well, China's only just up there. I mean, they're pretty close to Australia. I don't have to be overwhelmed by that. I don't have to lose sleep over that. 
God has revealed himself to me as the sovereign who ultimately rules over China and USA and any other government that's in this world. I don't put my head in the sand about what's happening, but I don't need to actually be overwhelmed by it and filled with anxiety because it's been revealed to me that God is over all. He rules, he reigns. And this revelation of God that's been given is a song that should be sung and proclaimed to all the world around us. This is the God that we serve, the creator God, the sovereign God. Here's the third thing the psalmist now wants to talk about, that actually we need to praise God for this. We need to get this in our minds and think about this. And the third big thing here to sing about in this psalm is God's blessing of strength so that we flourish through life. Look in verse 10 there, he says this, You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You have poured fresh oil over me. Now you might be thinking, what's the Bible talking about there when it talks about horn? Well, the Bible uses a lot of symbolic language. But when the Bible talks about horn there, it symbolises the power of a horn, of a wild animal. Perhaps, as we see there, like that of a wild ox. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever watched any documentaries or YouTube videos, but I've seen those wild ox or wild buffalo in Africa. Uh, They put their heads down and they just pick up a lion or a tiger and they just flick it right over the back made just incredible power in the horns of these buffalo and these oxen. So what the psalmist is saying, in other words, God has given me the strength of a horn. Strength and power of a horn like that of a wild ox. Now to set that in its right context, because this is something to praise God for, uh, this strength and power, I don't think he means is physical strength and power, like we can go pick up a lion or a tiger and just toss it over our heads. We haven't got the horn that a wild buffalo's got to do that, okay? I don't think the psalmist is going there when he says that. I think where the psalmist is going when he talks about this strength and power that we receive, it's in the strength and power of convictions, of belief, of what we know about God. It's the strength and power of that other than physical strength. Have a look in verses 12 and 14 and we begin to see where that's going. The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of the God. So there's that word flourish. A couple of times mentioned already. They flourish like a palm tree. They grow like a cedar. Planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of their God. Verse 14, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green, vital, energetic, now, a couple of questions I want to ask. Well, who's the righteous? And we start there at the start. The righteous shall flourish. Who are the righteous? Uh, nobody is righteous in their own. It's not because of what I've done or who I am. It's all because of who Jesus is. And it's me trusting in Christ. That's the righteousness that I have that Jesus has given to me. So the righteous are those who are trusting in Jesus. Just to answer that one. Now, what do we know about physical strength as we try and understand what the psalmist is talking about here? What, not, what do we know about physical strength? It naturally declines as we get older. Unfortunately, my son is stronger than me now. I'm not happy about that, okay? I'm very unhappy about that, but he is. Well, sometimes I'm happy because he can lift up things that you know, I would not rather lift up. But that's what happens. As you get older, you're, naturally your strength declines physically. It's part of us slowly dying in this world. Not perhaps the most cheeriest thing to think about on the first time, but that's what's happening. That's where it's at. 
Uh, verse 14, though, we see this. Uh, the righteous, even in our old age, it's still telling us that we are uh, bearing fruit and we're full of sap and green. In other words, we're still strong. We're still vital. And we're still willing to stand up. Well, what are we strong about? Or what are we vital about? What are we willing to stand up for? Well, we get the answer to that in the very next verse. Look in verse 15. Uh, So we're bearing fruit, full of sap and green, to what? Declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So what am I doing in my old age? Am I in my old age yet? Maybe I am. I declare and proclaim that the Lord is upright, good and pure and excellent. I declare that the Lord is my rock. He is my strength and strong foundation through life. When the storms come, I stand with the Lord who safely carries me through every storm. I can declare and proclaim that the Lord does no unrighteousness. He does no wrong. He's good and he will never do wrong. He can't possibly do wrong. Now, what are these things? What are these declarations? It's not so much physical strength. These are all convictions that I know and what I believe about the Lord. These are truths about God that grip my heart. So even in old age, when my strength and uh, energy and vitality is declining, I still flourish. I flourish in these convictions. I flourish in these truths. They don't diminish. In fact, they grow stronger as you get older because you need to lean on them perhaps more. That's what the psalmist is talking about. My old age might decline in strength, but my convictions in who God is, my belief in who God is, it's growing strong. It's getting more powerful. And think about where does this flourishing happen? Where does these convictions grow? We're told in verse 13, they are the righteous, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish where? In the courts of our God. Well, what does it mean to be planted in the house of the Lord? And what does it mean to flourish in the courts of our God? Do we sort of dig a hole, cut a hole in the floor and just plant ourselves in this building? Is that, is that what the psalmist means? Or does he just live permanently in the temple back in that day? Well, that's really saying uh, the courts of the Lord and and the house of the Lord is like being in God's presence. Being in the presence of the Lord. It means that the righteous dwell or abide or live in the presence of God. How do we understand that today? When we don't have a God who's here in the physical as such, like we can see each other. How do we dwell and abide in the presence of God so that we can flourish and declare these praises? It means the righteous listen to God's word. That's where we are in God's presence. The righteous talk with God in prayer. The righteous do what we're doing today and they gather with God's people, dwelling with God in his presence. That can be done corporately or that can be done privately. But they are the ways where we are growing God's presence through his word, through prayer and through community with each other. And it's there. It's there that we grow in the presence of God and it's there that we flourish in those convictions that we believe. And because of that flourishing that God enables within us, what do we do? We have something to think, sing about. 
Because this is what the psalm is for. It's to help us think about these things and then begin to be thankful and sing about these things. He's calling us to sing. We strongly encourage this psalm to give thanks and to sing the praises of our Lord. Now there's some great works that God has done for us. We just listed out there. We are reminded of the Lord's faithfulness. We're reminded of the Lord revealing himself to us. God had to do that for us. And then we are reminded that the Lord enables us to flourish even in our old age. When our physical health is declining, we can still flourish in our convictions about who God is. Let me add just one more, and I'm sure the psalmist would be happy with me adding. I'm not adding to God's word, I'm just adding to this talk, okay? Here's one more work that God has done for us that really should be something that would make us thankful and sing for joy. What has God done? God the Father has sent his Son to carry out what work? The work of salvation. Jesus the Son comes to die in our place so that we can be reconciled back to God. The Son comes to carry out this work of salvation. The Holy Spirit now reveals this work of Jesus into our heart. The perfect life of Jesus, the death of Christ... And the glorious resurrection of Christ. He reveals this work into our hearts. He opens up our eyes. He unstops our ears. He gives us an ability to comprehend what God has done for us in Christ. This work he has done for us. This is the central work of God that makes all things possible for us. If this work doesn't take place, the work of Jesus, forget any other work that's happened. This is the work that should make us sing. The work of the gospel. And it's not just a work that Jesus carried out because he sort of had to. It was on his job description or that's what he had to do for 33 years. And he sort of just grinned and bared it. Now we are told in Hebrews this. That for the joy that was set before him, he endures the cross. So what's the work? The work of salvation is a work of of joy it's got to be a joy for us when we truly comprehend and begin to grasp the grace that God has given to us in Christ it's got to be a joy when we understand here what's happened we are saved from God's judgment his right judgment and we are saved because he has sent Jesus his son to take that judgment in our place It's got to be a joy when we understand that, that God loves us more than we could ever imagine and he sends his son to take our place. It's got to be a joy when we understand all of our sins, past, present and future, are washed away and forgiven by Jesus. It's got to be a joy that we are now filled with God's presence. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's got to be a joy. It's got to be a joy also that we are filled with a hope that is indestructible, the word tells us. There's lots of hope hope in things in this world, but each of them can evaporate in a matter of circumstances, just changing like that. But the hope of Christ, the hope of glory, the hope of eternity is indestructible. That's got to be a joy for us as we sing about that, as we're thankful for that. And that's exactly what it is. It's a song that we should sing with joy about. Let's transition this now to think about 
where we can land this psalm and think about music for singing for uh, just a few moments. In the first four verses, the psalmist tells us that it's good for us to give thanks. It's good for us to sing the praises of God. Firstly, a thankful attitude. A thankful attitude is good for our hearts, really good for our hearts. It's so easy to get caught up in the hard and heavy of life. Circumstances can be crushing. In a matter of sometimes one phone call, your whole day is changed, maybe your whole world is changed in one phone call at times. And you can be bogged down in despair and negativity. And it's like a cloud that just comes and sits over you in those moments. And we can become like people, as Laurel said before, that the glass is always half empty. That's all we seem to see. The glass is always half empty. It's not half full. Or rarely is it half full in our lives. It's always down. And when it's like this, when we're sort of covered by this sort of cloud of negativity and despair and woe is me, we actually can develop this poor me attitude. It's a self-pitying attitude. It's, you know, just if only you knew what was happening in my life. Now, sure, there's some difficult stuff happening there. But if we let that go too far, we actually become so self-focused and I've got it so hard. But being thankful, on the other hand, helps us to see what the Lord has done. Helps to actually realign our vision. Helps Helps us to see something from another perspective. The circumstances haven't changed, but I'm looking at it from another vantage point now. And I begin to dwell on the big things that God has done for me like being thankful for those things like salvation and transformation, it begins to change the way I think about my current circumstances. The circumstances don't change, but the way I see them change. When I begin to think on who God is and what he's done for me. Or I can think about the smaller things in life. When I think about those small things, a, a thankful attitude does wonders for our soul in those dark moments. It could be this. I'm thankful for the sun that shines today. Something really simple like that. Just to stop and actually look up and say, Lord, thank you for the warmth of this sun. Or thankful for the friends that I have. Or thankful for the church that I'm part of. Or thankful for a sound mind that can see God's beauty that's been given to me, that I can appreciate this, that this is who God is, this is what God has done. And a thankful heart then recognises who God is, what he's done, and that helps to grow joy within me when I'm thankful. Sometimes that takes a real determined decision in our mind to be thankful. Because some of us naturally, by disposition, always see the glass is half empty. We've got to speak to ourselves and begin to think about what's God done and be thankful for that. That's where the psalmist is going here in Psalm 92. Secondly, we are called to sing for joy. Sing for joy. It's a Sabbath psalm. They're gathering together. They're remembering who God is, what he has done and what he's continuing to do in their lives. And they're reminding themselves about this great and glorious God that has called them together as a body of people. Did you know that Jesus was a singer? You go to Matthew 26 and you'll see that he sung a hymn with the disciples before he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus sung. Paul and Silas, the apostles, uh, sang sang songs in the Philippian jail in Acts chapter 16. In a time of despair and probably thinking they're going to get executed, 
They're singing songs and psalms in the jail the night before. And Paul, as we saw Frankie read before, writes to the Colossians and says this in verses 14 to 17. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Three words at the end of that verse. What's he say? And be thankful. Colossians, be thankful. Be thankful for what you've got. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Doing what? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What else would you like us to do, Paul? Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With what attitude, Paul? With thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, says Paul, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's Paul's instructions to the Colossian church. Be thankful. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Singing is an important element of our gatherings on Sundays. It's a really important element of our gatherings on Sundays. I'm incredibly thankful for the team here that we have various teams working Sunday after Sunday here at Exchange Church. It's hard work for these guys. Uh, they're up at about probably 7 o'clock, or maybe my son gets up a bit later than that, but still gets here by 8am. They're here with the PA person, and they're setting all this up, because when they walk in here, it's just one big empty room, and there's nothing up there, and they're just putting all this stuff out. It's hard work on a Sunday morning. But it's also hard for them at times as well, as they look out while they're singing, because they're trying to encourage us to sing, because it's good for us to sing. It's also hard for them too, as they do this, because sometimes they look out there and they see... Ah, there's some people not singing. And they just sort of... It's very discouraging for our singing team when they see that. Now, I understand people come with all sorts of different weeks. Some people might just... I've lost my voice. Okay, that's a very valid reason why you can't sing on a Sunday, okay? But some people just choose not to engage in singing. Now, I'm not saying we've got to sing to encourage them. It's helpful because it's a mutual encouragement going both ways. But we're missing out on something really, really important when we don't sing. Because Paul, the psalmist is encouraging us to do it, and Paul's encouraging the Colossians, which he might write the same letter to Exchange Church as well. Now, I know we're not always going to get singing right at church. It's probably one of the most contentious areas within a church. Because there's 100 plus people here with a lot of different tastes and sort of understanding and styles and whatever of music, you know. Some will say the songs are too slow and some will say the songs are too fast and some will say we don't sing enough hymns and some will say we don't sing enough fast contemporary songs. It's, if there was a dial or a spectrum from here to here, we would be all over that spectrum. We, the dial would, would go the whole way. All I would say, let's, let's be gracious towards each other when it comes to singing. Let's be gracious towards it. Let's, the music team's trying to learn and grow all the time with the view of encouraging us to sing. And the whole idea of this singing at the start is to begin to warm our hearts and engage our hearts and begin to help us to focus on Jesus after the challenging week we may have had. Let's be appreciative of all the different styles of music we have at Exchange. I've got some young people in the youth here. They would love some rap music getting played on a Sunday morning. I'm already seeing a few. But we need to be appreciative of all these different styles of music. We don't do rap music 
at this stage. Um, but we've got to be appreciative of that. Having said that, I do love the congregational singing here at Exchange. I think it's a wonderful, powerful thing as we sing together. I think it's a really important part of what we do. And actually, it builds me up, that singing. It encourages me. So if you're one of those people today who choose not to sing or just think, I haven't got a voice, let me encourage you. Sing. Sing. Just begin to open your mouth up and sing with the rest of the congregation. We won't hear you. It's all right. In case you're worried about that. Unless you're Rob, we will definitely hear Rob. (laughs) Okay, you can just merge in with the rest of the congregation. It's a great thing to do. Singing is a powerful gift that God's given to us. Music is a powerful gift that God's given to us. When we have voices combining together with some great music and combining that with the truths of the gospel, it's something that the Holy Spirit does to work deep within us. Now, I know from personal experience, when I'm feeling a bit flat or a bit low, if I, can, if I put on some good gospel music and I hear those gospel truths being sung out and it's been sung by great singers and there's some good music, the Holy Spirit works in that. It begins to lift my heart. The circumstances around me haven't changed, but God works through that music, God works through that singing, and he begins to lift me. It's a gift that God's given to us. We know there it's just right. The psalmist says it's good. It's not bad. It's a good thing to do. Here's something else about singing. Gospel singing within a congregational singing, and that's what we aim to do here is congregational, not performance singing, but congregational singing. It's attractional for all the right reasons. Who who knows who's walking past and they hear this congregation of 100 plus people singing and they could be asked the question, why are these people so happy? Why are these people so joyful? Why would they be singing? What is it that they are singing about? It'll be, it'll be posing questions in their minds. Who, who are they singing about? Not Collingwood, okay, it's not going to be about Collingwood. But who are they singing about? It's attractional. It gets to actually communicate something. It's something that people connect with. So we want to connect in the world with the gospel emanating through all of our music. And, and I know we have a range of songs here. Some are hymns. Some are very perhaps rich in theological understanding or rich in understanding of who God is. Other songs we sing are more contemplative, prayerful, reflective. So we've got a range of various songs that we do here. But they all have a gospel direction within them. So what is Psalm 92? Psalm 92 is a call to give thanks. Psalm 92 is a call to sing for joy. Psalm 92 is a call together on the Sabbath, whenever we gather, to remember the works of God and then to sing with joy for what he's done for us because it ministers to our heart and our soul as we do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and open up Psalm 92. Father, we thank you again for this call to remember the great works that you have done. What a glorious God. What a God who would take us who are unworthy of anything 
You would call us from darkness of living in rebellion before you and you would bring us, bring us into your marvellous light. You're a God who reveals to us your son Jesus and what he's done in rescuing and saving us. You're the same God who lives inside of us now by your Holy Spirit, giving us a new heart, giving us new eyes, new ears, new mind. You're the God who reveals this enormous creation, that it's at the work of your hands and you spoke this universe into existence by a single word. And yet you know each and every one of us individually. We are not a dot on this planet. We are a male or female made in your image. And you have gloriously reconciled us back to yourself in your son Jesus. And Lord, you ask us today to sing. To sing for joy. For all the great and glorious works you've done. With hearts overflowing with thankfulness. Help us, Holy Spirit, to do that today. Help those, Lord, who are having a despairing week where circumstances are caving in on them, things they can't shift or shake from their mind. Lord, I pray, would you encourage them as one avenue of grace to find some good gospel music and let the truths of who you are be sung into our minds, I pray. And Lord, would you use that to lift us up, to put our trust in you despite the circumstances we have around about us. Father, we thank you for this gift. We pray, would we use it, Lord, for the praise and glory of your grace? Lord, we ask that. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.